My name is Quill Taylor, and I have taken it upon myself to record my findings pertaining to the life of a young boy named Anthony Todd. Oh, this is Quill Taylor, recording journal entry 2, written on my third day in town. Entry begins. This town has been around for over 800 rotations. It was founded by Thomas Morgrove in the 1203rd rotation, and some of the buildings in town are still standing from that time. It's crazy to think that some of these towns have been around for centuries, and yet some people have never heard of them. I hadn't even known this town existed until I was looking for flats, and even then it was difficult to find it on a map. I'm glad I took the bus instead of trying to drive here. I can only imagine how many times I would have gotten lost. Today went well, in terms of research. I walked around with my book, some stick-on notes, and my favourite ballpoint pen, and I found that many of the connected shops down Elman Street used to be part of one big building, and were only separated into smaller establishments a couple of centuries ago. The building was some sort of factory? The book doesn't say much about it. Most of the owners, or employees of the shops I went into, didn't know much about the history either. One of the owners, an older man named Charlie, who owns the gardening shop, gave me the most information out of everyone. He said that most of the businesses are individually run, but funded by the city. This has been the same since the shops were built. I asked him about the building before it was turned into smaller businesses, and he said that all he knew was that Morgrove was originally a logging town that distributed lumber. He seemed to think it had been a lumber mill, and after a few generations, the mayor decided it would be more beneficial for Morgrove to turn into a self-run town. Since a nearby settlement was also distributing lumber, it was putting the town into a bit of an economic decline. This was incredibly helpful, and I thanked him a bit too profusely. I also bought the succulent I'd wanted to get yesterday, a small cactus with a pink flower on top. I've decided to name it Martin, since it reminds me of one of my friends back home. Afterwards, I dropped it off at my flat and went to lunch. There was a map of the town in the book. I'll attempt to draw it on a separate sheet, but since my drawing skills are lacking, I'll also include a description here. I'll start with Elman Street. It's the biggest part of town, and all of the commercial areas are located on and around it. It forms a large ring around the building where all of the shops are, sort of like a mall, but the shops don't seem to be interconnected from the back. I don't think you can get from one shop to another from inside. There are a total of eight roads that branch off Elmans going in all directions. These link to houses and various privately owned businesses. At what seems to be the for lack of a better word, top of Elman Street, is City Hall. The library is on one of the left roads, Greenwood. I walked back over that way after lunch, excited to place a date on the location and wanting to go visit it again. The book says that the library was the first building in the town, finished during the same rotation the town was founded in. It was used as a makeshift City Hall as well as a shelter for the few residents that lived there at the time. The entire building seemed bigger on the inside, because the outside is a simple half-circle shape when looking at it from a bird's-eye view, and not very large. When looking from the front, it's a flat brick face, with four columns placed symmetrically on either side of the front doors. It's a gorgeous design, while it's in no way impressive, the building has an old beauty to it. I scanned through the details of the building process. Apparently, it took almost five rotations to fully complete, but what the book describes as the main building only took two rotations. 
I'm curious about what that means, but the book doesn't provide any more insight into what isn't included in the main building. I headed up the front steps and into the library, and the librarian looked up from her desk with a large smile. She bidded me a good afternoon and started to go into the organization for the library. I almost tried to stop her so I could avoid the Dewey Decimal System ramble, but... Well, she told me the library was organized alphabetically today. Apparently, my confusion had been fairly obvious, so she asked me what was wrong, and I asked, isn't the library organized with the Dewey Decimal System? She let out a laugh like I was a fool for thinking that the organization patterns wouldn't just stay the same. She told me that the Dewey Decimal System hadn't been the organization pattern for a few days now, and repeated that today the books are organized alphabetically by their authors. This obviously struck me as incredibly odd. I wanted to ask her so many things, mainly how had the library been reorganized so quickly and the purpose for reorganizing in this strange manner, but she talked over me, rambling about how the author's names that began with A started on the far left side of the library and that I should look through rows left to right to make my way to the author I needed. I'd nearly forgotten why I'd come in. I had interrupted causing her smile to falter a bit, and asked if she could tell me about the part in the book that described the building of the library. She asked what about it specifically, and I told her I was curious what they meant by main building, and what else took three more rotations to build. She was silent, seemingly thinking, but her eyes sparked with something else. It was quiet for just longer than is usually comfortable, and I was just about to interrupt the silence when she answered. She told me it was just storage, where they keep extra or broken books. She pushed up her glasses and put on the same smile. Nothing too interesting. One look at her gaze told me that I wouldn't learn anything else, and that I should not ask again. I excused myself quickly from the library before she could continue her rambling about the organization. To my surprise, she looked a bit sad to see me go. I thought I'd overstepped somehow with my questions, perhaps I had, but she bade me farewell kindly as I walked out the doors. As silly as it sounds, I soon forgot about the encounter as I continued to make my way through town, nose stuck in the book and my feet carrying me down the road. It's a small town, all things considered. I could walk from one end to the other in a fairly short amount of time, which is precisely what I managed to do. Mulgrove Road isn't pictured on the map shown in the book, and as I made my way down, I flicked back to the index to see if I could find any information on what was located this way. I searched around as I walked, expecting to see houses, or at least a small dwelling, but there was only a cobbled road with a forest on one side, a sidewalk and tall grass on the other. The road only went straight, there didn't seem to be any bends in it, so I kept walking for at least ten more minutes. Finally, just as I was about to turn back, I spotted something. A bend in the road, and through the trees, a building. My spirits immediately raised, and I headed towards it, checking one more time in my book to make sure I hadn't missed this place somewhere in it. There still appeared to be nothing here. While this struck me as odd, my doubts were cast aside as the building came into view, and I spotted a little boy playing out front with his dog. I recognized this boy as one of the people I'd spoken to a couple of days ago, and when I called out to him, he seemed happy to see me. Now, seeing this boy here was strange enough, 
But what was even stranger was the fact that the huge manor behind the boy wasn't mentioned anywhere in this book, despite the fact that it looked at least several hundred rotations old. That's not to say it wasn't well kept. The front gardens were gorgeous, and while the walls of the manor had ivy on them, the vines and bushes around it seemed to be there merely for the aesthetic, as if they were put there on purpose instead of naturally growing. I asked Anthony, uh, the boy, if he lived there. To my surprise, he answered yes. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if he had any sort of parental figures, but with only two other people living with him, I'd expected, well, not a manor. He seemed to know what I was thinking, because he laughed and told me that he'd lived there his whole life. His nanny kept the place clean and worked in the gardens. She loves flowers, he had said, and they bloom around her, apparently. I took that as the nanny seemed to have a green thumb. I asked if she was nice, and he nodded with a large smile and told me that she was lovely. I was pleased with that. A young boy needs caring adults in his life, and this nanny of his seemed like a fit guardian. I admit I hesitated to ask any more questions, since I felt like I'd already gone past the point of what was polite. But Anthony rambled on a bit more, and I got some more information on his butler, who seemed a bit of a stoic. He described his butler as strict, but not mean. I know he just wants to make sure I'm safe, he had said, or something along those lines. I told him that was a very grown-up thing to say, and to my surprise, he frowned at this. I'm not a grown-up yet, he had stated, as if being a grown-up was something he'd never want to become. This struck something in me. I have no doubt my surprise at the statement was obvious, but before I could say anything, Anthony was called inside. I only got a quick look at the woman standing in the front door, but I remember her. She was pale, wearing what appeared to be a white blouse and a long black skirt. Her hair was pulled into a tight bun and a pair of round sunglasses perched on her face. Anthony informed her that he was coming inside and waved goodbye to me, calling out to his dog and heading in. The woman watched him go, then turned her head to look at me. I couldn't see her eyes, but I could feel them meet mine. Her expression was unreadable, but I felt something rather strange, fill the pit of my stomach. It wasn't dread or fear, but an acute sense of loyalty, of protectiveness. Protectiveness over the boy. The message was clear, appearing in my head as if it were my own thoughts, but I knew it wasn't. It was hers. Stay away from the boy, she said in my mind and the sound echoed around me like she had yelled it inside of a large cavern. But the door snapped shut, and I blinked, suddenly pulled out of my head and back into the place I stood on the street. The manor seemed bigger, more intimidating now. I quickly made my way back the way I came. By the time I got back, the sun was setting, so I decided to grab a coffee from that restaurant on the corner and headed back to my flat. I planned to stay up for a while longer to take some notes on the places I visited while the details were still fresh in my mind. <sighs> Instead, I picked up the Fantastical Adventures at 7.30 and read until I realized how late it was. I'm writing in my journal now, and much to my dismay, it's far too late to continue my research. Despite my coffee, I am exhausted, and I'll be heading to bed soon enough. I think I want to stay in tomorrow and work on my novel. I feel like a lazy day in my flat will do me some good. I may also try to meet my neighbours and see if one of them has a computer I can borrow to order a new phone. I believe that's all I have to write. Until tomorrow, then.
entry ends. Reading these back is somewhat disconcerting. I remember I couldn't place any of the feelings or concerns I had that day, and for the most part I completely ignored them. The librarian's response to my question about the extra time spent building has evaded me until now. I'd completely forgotten about that. I'll have to ask her. Um, my findings pertaining to the town documented here are incredibly useful, as I no longer have a copy of History of Morgrove in my possession. I have tried to locate it since I returned it to the library a couple of weeks ago, and I have had no luck. Li- um, the librarian is little help. She seems as confused as I am. She's not very aware of the book she has in stock. Claims she doesn't really pay attention. I have no answers to any questions I've raised about this. I am especially grateful that I included a drawing of the map of the town. However, it's missing the little note stuck to the bottom that illustrates Morgrove Road. Oh well. I was hoping that while reading this, things would start making more sense, and while I have gotten some answers, I'm afraid I've come up with just as many new questions. I wonder if I'll ever get to the... Ugh, I'm rambling. End recording. The Domestic Life of Anthony Todd is a podcast written and recorded by J.R. Steele and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. The audio is edited using Audacity, the free editing program. Thanks for joining me.